the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Heart of Innovation, 60 minutes that can save life and limb with new breakthrough ideas and innovation changing the healthcare landscape. Brought to you by patient advocacy group, thewaytomyheart.org, in partnership with Cardiovascular System Incorporated's patient advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Here are your hosts for the Heart of Innovation, Emmy Award-winning journalist and founder of The Way to My Heart, Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist and founder of the Save My Piggies Health Education Series, Dr. John Phillips. Hey everyone, and welcome to the show. On this last weekend of October, where I know so many of you are heading out to get a head start on Halloween festivities, we wanted to take time to talk about why it started and how it differs from Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead. Halloween, or Hallow's Eve, was about paying homage to the saints, while Day of the Dead, which is also known as All Souls Day, is considered a day where the dead temporarily return to Earth to be by our side. But they're on different days. Tradition has it that the heaven's gates open on the 31st to allow the spirits of the children to come back and visit their families for 24 hours here on Earth, and then on November 1st, that's on November 1st. And then adults come back on November 2nd. And this is known as Dia de los Muertos. Now, since my mom made the transition this year, it will be a day that I can only hope I can feel the presence of my mom. I know Mike, our producer, feels the same with his mom who transitioned about the same time as mine. And I know our guest later on in the show is also hoping for the same for her son, who just made his transition unexpectedly this week. She is going to be sharing his fight for life and dignity in dying coming up in the second half of the show. It's really a must-hear story that will make you ask more questions along your healthcare journey than ever before. Our very own nurse practitioner, Kay Smith, is going to preface that conversation with a grander look at what dignity in dying means, why it's important, and how it's impacted her life. Now, if you want to share your story or do have questions or you want to share some insight, call into our hotline anytime during the show, 1-888-367-5329. That's one 888 before we jump into our topic of the day, hey, Dr. Phillips, how are you Kim, doing today? I'm well. How are you? It's a, a pretty pre- heavy intro, right? But, I know. Uh, and then you want to go to light, dark, light, dark. Well, yeah. We well, my kids. So, you know, for us today, it's trick or treat in our neighborhood. So my youngest is 10. So she's dressing up as 11 from Stranger Things, which is kind of an interesting show. Um, but, you know, so you, you, it, this is going to be an interesting conversation, right? It, um, it, as soon as we take our first breath, we begin the process of dying. And, you know, as they say, uh, death is certain, the timing is not. Um, so I, I'm really looking forward to what Kay has to say. And then I think we've got a pretty good uh, and a poignant save, save my piggies as well. Um, but, you know, I, I'm always here to offer some inspiration too. So, yeah. 
It's your inspiration for the day. It's time for that. Let's hear it. Dr. John Phillips, spectacular, vascular moment of inspiration. That never gets old. It, it, it doesn't. That 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 uh, trumpet or whatever it is, just I, I love it. I bet you Kay gets goosebumps because it reminds her of the, the monarchy and all that good pomp and circumstance <laughs> at home. But So my quote today is from Stephen King, and this isn't really inspirational, but I think it's insightful and it dovetails nicely into the conversation that we're probably going to or that we are going to have. And so Stephen King said, we make up horrors to help us cope with the real ones. And like I said, life and death kind of full circle. They're all part of the yin and yang. And it's important to talk about these things. And, and again, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation. Hopefully we'll be able to shed some insights and, and um, you know, help people that that might be grieving. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough one, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It is, you know, and it's especially poignant because this show is really all about the vascular issues that we all face. And we all seem to have some sort of vascular issue at some point in our life. And it, it, it can be life or death for, for many people. So um, I think that this is a really important conversation to have. And it, it's something that Kay and I, it, it really you know, was sparked from a conversation that we had really about my mom who transitioned from an aortic aneurysm that, that ruptured in, um, in February. And there were so many signs and symptoms that she had something going on. But every time we went to the doctor, they said, oh, no, she has nothing life-threatening going on. Her heart's fine. Her lungs are fine, blah, blah, blah. But there was something serious going on, and she was declining. And there's this battle that has been going on in my head should I have pushed more? I pushed for everything else. Why didn't I do more? How could I have missed this? How could I save everybody else? How could I not save my mom? And it brings me to tears literally almost every day. But Kay said something that was really important to me that is, Kim, you know, your mom really lived her life to the final moment. Would she have rather been in the hospital having last minute procedures done that could have led to stroke that could have led to her, you know, going into a coma or being in some sort of comatose state for the rest of her life. Or was it better that she lived to the last moment? And that's where she started sharing more about her plight in this, this push for dignity and in dying. And so, Kay, I'm going to pass the baton over to you to start this conversation because it's something that has affected you personally with your life being marked palliative. Yeah, <clears throat> it has. Um, even the word palliative puts the fear of God in most people. Um, a lot of people I, don't even know what that means. I actually, it never really struck me until you had used that term. Palliative means that you're not expected to live. They don't give a time. They just say that there's physically nothing more they can do for you. So they're marking you as palliative. And although I've had my procedure, um, which takes care of one um, condition, um, I'm still marked palliative due to other comorbidities. Um, And at first, like everybody else, it was scary, but it then leads you down the path of choice. Like you've just said with your mum, 
um, because there's so much choice as to what would happen at the end um, that it became something that I started to look into. And in America, I think you now have 14, about to be 15 states that allow dignity in dying where they can actually have assisted death. Um, in Canada, it's now used Australia, New Zealand, a lot of Europe. Um, in England, if you had to have somebody uh, assist somebody to die, you would be locked up and you would be sentenced up to 10 years for manslaughter. Oh. And that includes Scotland. Um, so in Scotland, we're about to go on the first and the second week in January is going to Parliament for the f- biggest um vote that this country's ever had as to whether or not Scotland will allow dignity in dying. Um, it's something that's very close to my heart, and I'll explain that, obviously, in a few more minutes once we've had a break. But it's something also that I don't think we should be scared of, and we need to talk more to our relatives about. Thank you so much, Kay. We'll be right back. Leg health can indicate risk for heart attack, stroke, and amputation. If you have leg pain or cramps while walking, get checked for peripheral artery disease, or PAD. PAD is plaque buildup in mainly the leg arteries. Be sure to ask your physician for an ankle brachial index, also called an ABI test, where they use blood pressure cuffs to analyze the blood pressure in your legs. If they discover you have arterial plaque that's limiting blood flow to your feet, medicine and a regimented walking program are frontline treatment. If PAD is in its advanced stages, your physician may schedule a surgical intervention. Minimally invasive tools are available to remove plaque and restore blood flow, including cardiovascular system's Diamondback 360 atherectomy system, which sands away plaque that is a hard calcium. It's important to discuss all options with your physician, and if told you have no options, get a second opinion. Take a stand against amputation. For more information, go to standagainstamputation.com. That's standagainstamputation.com. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for joining us again. This is a live call-in show. Our number is 888-367-5329. And before we went to break, we had kind of started the conversation about end of life uh, as it pertains to, um, you know, medical illnesses. Obviously, we talk a lot about vascular disease here, but it, 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 the scope is, 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 is very large. Um, and we were touching on, on palliative care um, and, and Kay was, was kind of sharing her thoughts on that. And, you know, my, we use palliative care in my field, interventional cardiology, probably not enough. Um, I think when patients get to the point where they have end stage disease processes, whether it's end stage heart disease or vascular disease, that there becomes a time where you have to kind of redirect your goals of care. And we in my field are not great at providing the support to the patient and the family uh, when it comes to some of the end of life issues that the team's um, physicians and nurse practitioners, and and they have an army of folks that help out with palliative care uh, that they can provide. And it's a huge, huge um, um, benefit for patients when, if, and when they get to that point. And, and Kay, I know you, you, you feel pretty strongly about it and and, want to share more thoughts. So please. I, um, 
During my career, um, I did a degree and part of that degree was there was the end of life care pathway, which was introducing palliative care into somebody's care package. And normally it was done in hospices. But unfortunately, 55, 65 percent of patients in the UK never actually make it into the hospice due to lack of hospice facilities. So we wanted to introduce it into the hospitals and to make sure that if they were in the hospital when it came time, that we gave them the same treatment and the same comfort that we could give a patient if they were actually transferred to the hospice. So my part of my degree was actually introducing part of the end of life care pathway into the UK hospitals. I found it the most humbling experience I've ever had. Um, we would take them off all non-essential medications. And funny you should say that you don't give as much palliative care as you probably should. I think it's because as nurses and doctors, we're there to treat the patient and get them better and right. get them home. So it's very difficult to let go. Um, and I once had a patient who was about to pass and I was looking after her. And the surgeon had looked after her for a long time. And he came in and he stood at the back of the room and he had his arms crossed and he tried everything. And I remember watching him with the tears running down his face because he was going to have to let her go. And he said, will you stay with her? And I said, of course I will. And he came forward, gave her a kiss on her forehead and said, safe journey. That to me is palliative care. That was you. That's beautiful. But it's, it, it takes strength on both parts especially on the surgeon, because the surgeon's job is to fix his patients. It's not to let them go. And I had another patient who came in and I had to go and tell him he had about 72 hours. Mm. And it sounds really blunt to do something like that, but it gives the patient time to make any choices that they want to make, both physically, mentally and spiritually. And the first thing he asked me was, can you get me somebody to marry my partner? We've been together 40 years and we've never married and I need to marry her. So within four hours, we had a humanist there. We had a lawyer there. It was half past four when they were getting married. We dressed him in the finest silk pyjamas he had. His partner and about-to-be wife put a beautiful dress on. The nurses all put flowers in their uniforms and we all stood there with his son and his daughter and they made their vows. And as soon as the vows were said, he signed his name as best he could and she signed her name and the lawyer grabbed it and he ran. And he ran as fast as his legs was taken to get to the high court and to the registry office, sorry, and to get the marriage registered before they closed. It's amazing. Once he's married, the peace that that Matt had brought to him was priceless. You know, it's so interesting that you mentioned that, you know, sometimes those timelines can be a little iffy, especially I've seen cancer patients that I've had a friend who was told she was terminally ill and, you know, she only had a certain amount of time and, she said, well, what can I do? And he said, well, the only thing you can do is go out of this office and never say anything about it again and just hope for the best. She did, and she's still alive 20 years later, which is pretty remarkable. But I did have, you reminded me of a story of 
a patient um, of one of our doctors over in Mississippi. And both the wife and this patient, who is also a dentist, um, gave me a call and said, oh, my God, my legs are in pain. I can barely walk. I can't even go into the office anymore to treat my patients. Help me, help me. Something just seemed a little odd about his story. So I sent him to the, the the doctor that we know, two and a half hours away, he was able to get him in literally the next morning because it just felt really urgent. He had some wounds, but he had some wounds in some different places that I wasn't um, familiar with and didn't sound normal. So when he got to the doctor, the doctor called me and said, Kim, I'm going to have to do something I've never had to do before because I treat peripheral artery disease, the blockages of arteries in the legs. This guy is terminal with this um, other very, very rare disorder, the calcification disorder. I can't remember what it's called. Calciphylaxis. That's what it was. Calciphylaxis. He said, I have to tell him that he only has weeks to live. And I was like, oh, my God, I sent this patient to learn he's going to die. And the guy messaged me afterwards and he said, you just gave me the greatest gift. He's like, it's taken me some time to figure this out and to settle with it but you've given me the greatest gift I've ever had, which is the gift to say goodbye and to get my affairs in order and protect my wife. And I just melted. It was, it was really hard. Yeah. It's so true. And so many times I have seen patients, but I have to say myself as well. Um, I, at the moment, I'm not dying. I'm fighting back with everything. No, I told you to tear up that piece of paper and throw it in the toilet. And you did. And you're thriving. Well, I mean, if you if you look at the I'm just, I, during the break, I pulled up the definition of palliative and, you know, there's a lot of them. But I think the gist of it is relieving pain without dealing with the actual cause of the condition so that you can interpret that many ways. I mean, relieving pain, physical pain, emotional pain, um, like to your point, Kim, helping that patient and his family come to terms with things to your point, Kay allowing that couple to be married. Um, I mean, for me, I had a patient that I was seeing for several weeks in the hospital. He was, he was quite ill. And, um, you know, unfortunately there really wasn't much that we were able to, to do. Oh, John's froze. Okay. I'll let him get back to his story in a moment. You and I had been talking about some gaps in, in care. And as we, you know, progress through the end part of this discussion, um, where are the gaps when it comes to palliative care and where are patients struggling to say, hey, doc, I'm in so much pain. And I know some of our friends with peripheral artery disease say the pain is so bad. No one can do anything about this neuropathy. They've tried to restore blood flow. Can you just help me put me out of my misery? And you had mentioned something about how how courts supported taking a young kid off of, you know, life support and, and giving them that piece, but it's not the same for adults. Yeah, I mean, in the UK in the last two years, there's been five huge big court cases where um, the parents have tried to keep their child alive, but they've been on ventilators. And in all five cases, the courts have won and the hospitals that took the parents to court were to allow the child to die with dignity. And um, But when it comes to adults, that doesn't happen. And unfortunately, dignity in dying in any previous bill has been thrown out. Dr. Phillips, you've joined us again. and you I know my, com- my computer froze. I'm sorry. I forget where I was. Well, we only have one minute left. You were oh, telling well, the story about one of your patients. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I'll, I'll finish that up after break. Yes. Yeah, so all I'd say is that when it comes to the end of life, 
It's about the freedom of choice. Do you go to the hospice? Do you stay at home? Do you make the decision to put yourself out of pain? It is a freedom of choice and a choice that's individual to each and every person. Yeah, I think on that note, we're going to go to break and we'll have more on this discussion and dignity and dying coming up. So stay with us. Three years ago, my symptoms started with leg pain and leg cramps while walking. Me too, with a tightness in my calves. Well, do you know, my doctor thought that my leg cramps were a side effect of the statin he prescribed me. Well, my doctor just brushed them off as another symptom of old age. Mine thought the pain was radiating from my spine. My doctor blamed my neuropathy on diabetes until I got a wound on my foot that just wouldn't heal. Yeah, it turns out we all have peripheral artery disease, also known as PAD. It's plaque buildup mainly in the leg arteries causing poor circulation. For me, the diagnosis came too late and I lost my leg. But that does not have to happen to you. No, it does not, because there are treatment options available if you're diagnosed early enough. PAD, peripheral artery disease. If you've been experiencing leg pain, leg cramps, or neuropathy when walking, and your doctor isn't hearing you, we are. We are the way to my heart, the largest support network for peripheral artery disease patients. And we want to help you get back on your feet again. Visit our website at thewaytomyheart.org or call our Legsaver hotline 415-320-7138. Your life and limb could depend on it. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. So I, I, I apologize, my uh, computer froze, and I just wanted to spend one second finishing up that story, and I, I, don't, I won't belabor it, but the patient was dying, and he basically asked me to tell him if it was okay to die, um, and I did because I felt like we had done everything we could. I walked out of his room, and the nurse, um, 30 seconds later, said the patient has passed in front of his family. So it, it, that was something that has always stuck with me, and it's um, you know, been a very profound uh, event because to your point before, we spend a lot of time, all our time actually trying to save legs and limbs um, and piggies. And then sometimes it, it just doesn't happen. So, well, I'm going to segue into our Save My Piggies segment. Uh, this is a special one because typically we're talking to patients, right? This is um, an advocacy uh, segment where we want the patients to, to be the quarterback of their care and we want to hear their stories. Um, unfortunately, the patient that we wanted to interview has, has since passed on. Um, however, we have his physician on the line and hopefully his mother will be joining us. And I know Kay and Kim, you had played integral parts in helping take care of our patient, Gary. And so Kay or Kim, I'd like you to kind of tell us your thoughts on, on how you came to know Gary and his family. Yeah, so both Gary and Felicia contacted The Way to My Heart because we're a 501c3 that helps patients with peripheral artery disease to find a better doctor and to give them the resources they need to live a better quality of life. He had already had a, a 
an amputation already, and he was on deck for a below-the-knee amputation. The previous amputation had only been, I believe, um, for the front part of his foot and his and his toes. And we have his mom. I can see her getting ready to join us in here. Um, but that's when I was able to bring him to Dr. Athar Ansari, who is here. Um, Dr. Ansari, what was your first um you know, in encounter when it when it came to Gary. I mean, he had so much energy, had such a zest for life. Um, you can unmute your your microphone so you can um, chat here. But give us your first thoughts um, in, in terms of of meeting Gary and his current state when he saw you. Okay, uh, thank you, uh, Kim, for inviting me to the show, and my heartfelt condolences to Gary's mom, uh, Felicia. Uh, I I cannot just describe, you know, I'm being on the show and uh, talking to mom who has just lost her son. And uh, it hurts me more than anything else. And I just just cannot, I cannot just describe in words. Um, Essentially for the last uh, uh, two years or so, uh, I had developed a, a rapport with this family. And then I especially had a special love and uh, understanding with Gary, whom I found was a, such a joyful individual, full of life. And although he had sick, he has multiple sickness and comorbidities, his zest for life was just unbelievable. And he just told me one thing, doctor, doctor, just get me better. I want, I don't want to lose this leg of your mind. And if you can help me. And, you know, all of us do medicine for something. I mean, it's, it's a passion. We want to make people do better. We want to make sure that they have a different outlook and they we are back on this uh, on on the on the routines. And when I saw Gary, I thought I would be able to. He's one of the men, and the, uh, that I will be able to maybe contribute a wee bit to his, and he will be okay. And uh, so he came to me. Came as we talked about approximately, I, uh, from my memory, about two years ago. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit up and down on the on the dates, but uh, I he came to my office first time. I I see him on the phone. I talked to his mom, and she was very very enthusiastic to bring him over. And mm-hmm. they drove him. I my practice is 125 miles from San Diego in a, in a town called El Centro, and uh, I don't know somebody will do it or not. But you know, there's a human thing called trust, mm-hmm. and that. I did, and the trust got got Gary's mom to to drive her all the way back to El Centro. Yeah, and uh, from there I saw him first, and I examined him, and obviously he had a wound there on his uh, on his leg. Uh, I think it was a right leg, and uh, he had had some previous procedures, and he was not healing. And, Adrian, uh, sorry, can, can I sorry to interrupt? Can I ask you? Sure. We have about two minutes left. Can you just give us an idea of how, how sick he was at that time? I mean, it sounds like he had a lot of comorbidities. Yes. Uh, was he on dialysis then? Or? Yes, correct. So he, he was diabetic. He was on dialysis. He had peripheral vascular disease. And then I, as, I, as I got to know him more, he had coronary artery disease. Plus, he had very severe uh, valvular heart disease with a heavily calcified mitral valve. So he he had multiple comorbidities, and and he's he, he, he's not very old either, correct? He he that's the point. He was only in his forties, you know, yeah. and uh, oh that, yeah, and he had so much light in his eyes. His energy oh. was just contagious. You could just feel it. Felicia, you have my complete. Hi, <laughs> I'm so glad to see you, Diamond. But the you know, one we're glad thing to have I you will, here. 
always remember about Gary was that twinkle in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was he was a beautiful soul. And we're going to let you tell your story and and share um, his, his loving heart and soul with, with everyone in just a moment. So stay with us. Medical Notepad brought to you by The Way to My Heart in partnership with Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Have you had a recent intervention to your leg for peripheral arterial disease? And now are you having some concerns that maybe something's wrong, like pain where they may have put a stent in? Or is that foot swollen? Or does it hurt a little more than it did before? Hi. I'm Dr. John Phillips with this week's Medical Notepad. It's not uncommon for patients who have peripheral arterial disease. Again, that's buildup of plaque within the arteries that restricts blood flow and causes patients to have aching and heaviness in their legs to have a procedure to improve blood flow. Oftentimes, we're putting a stent in. Sometimes we're performing a bypass. Sometimes we're kind of rotor-rooting or removing plaque from the artery itself. Again, we want to help you feel better. We want to improve symptoms. And after the procedure is done, sometimes patients feel a little worse than they do before. And that's very common. One of the most common side effects of a procedure is what we call reperfusion pain, or mainly the foot and the toes that weren't getting as good a blood flow before the procedure now are getting good blood flow. And that can cause some swelling and pain and actually redness in the foot. That's very common. We just tell patients to elevate the leg and use non-steroidals to kind of help with that. It's also not uncommon for patients to have pain at the area that was treated. So oftentimes the vessel in the thigh can be blocked and we have to use a little, a little bit of uh, muscle to open up that, that vessel and the balloon can cause some discomfort. So patients can have some pain there. What's not common and what's not normal is if after the procedure, the foot is numb, you have less movement, or you have a hard time walking. That's something that we need to know about. So it's important to talk to your physician before the procedure and after the procedure. And it's also important for your physician to have a good conversation with you regarding what to expect. Again, what's normal discomfort and what's abnormal. At the end of the day, all we want to do is help make your leg better. And in doing so, sometimes patients can have a little bit of discomfort afterwards. But please, if you have symptoms of achiness, heaviness, or cramping in your legs, please reach out to your physician and have that candid conversation. And again, if you do have a procedure, make sure you ask all the questions that are on your mind with respect to what's going to happen during the procedure and what's to be expected after procedure. With this week's Medical Notepad, I'm Dr. John Phillips. Medical Notepad is brought to you by The Way to My Heart. In partnership with Cardiovascular Systems Incorporated's advocacy campaign, Take a Stand Against Amputation. Remember that the advice and views offered are for educational and informational purposes only. Do not act on any information provided here without the explicit consent of your own healthcare team. For more PAD education, go to standagainstamputation.com. And for real-time support, go to thewaytomyheart.org. Welcome back to The Heart of Innovation. For more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. 
Hi, everyone. We are back. Uh, we are in our Save My Piggies segment. We are talking to Felicia. She is Gary's mom. Gary transitioned earlier this week after a long battle with multiple comorbidities, including some valvular disease in his heart, some coronary artery disease, diabetes, chronic kidney failure, as well as peripheral vascular disease. And he fought a, a very long, hard, inspiring, though, battle. He certainly had such a zest for life and he had so much fight in him that it inspired all of us to just keep fighting alongside he and his his mom, even his doctor, Dr. Athar Ansari. But I want to get to Felicia to start us off. So, you know, Gary was a diabetic uh, diagnosed when he was about 11 or 12. He went off to college. He um, continued to treat himself, but it was after college. He had some insurance troubles and and things no, like that. You know, no college. He couldn't go to college. He was just, yeah, he didn't go to college. He just thought that his, he needed to live his life. And he was a comedian. He was an artist. He was just a. um, Wait, uh, Felicia, real quick, since we're talking about Gary, he's a comedian, right? So what was his best joke? Oh, his best joke. Oh my gosh, there's so many. He would always just mess with you. Okay. <laughs> just mess with you. And then he had to be, it would be in the moment. He, I always used to tell him, you need to go down to Fifth Avenue and go on the, the nights they have the open mic. He said, Mom, I can't do it like that. I have to be around people and joking. So, um, uh, uh, I just can't think of one right All now. Right. Well, he sounds obviously he's a very special guy. Sorry yeah. to interrupt. He is. He he's a very creative person. He created a, a lot of art. And um, I was telling my other son, he's gonna have to come in, get all of his artwork, and display it, and let the his friends, you know, you know, take whatever they want from it. Because it's so much. I mean, he's got T-shirts. He's got cups. He's got glasses. He's got trays. He's got wow. it's just so much stuff. He would he. I would find his art in the middle of a tablet. I would say, okay, the tablet looks clean and I'd run through it. And then there's an art he had drawn. So, and, um, Did his art reflect his zest for life and his fight? Well, yeah, I would say so because he would have his, his biggest art one was he had this nice face on one side and this other side was like, like it was cut away and it was like mechanical. It was like he had two different people that he was dealing with. This guy who was healthy and well, and this other guy who was broken. Yeah. And he always said I was broken since I was born. He was born a uh, breach. He was born <laughs> breach. <laughs> he had to wear a harness. Nobody could really hold him unless you held him right because his hips were dislocated. You know, he had a uh, foot that was long, a leg that was longer than the other. He never let all those things stop him from exploring, doing whatever he wanted. He wanted to drive. He wanted a car. He wanted to be married. He wanted to uh, have children. He never got those opportunities. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it. So, like, he obviously got dealt a pretty crappy hand, and but you can do one. Of, you can do one of two things: you can fold and quit, or or keep right. playing it. And he kept playing his hand. It sounds like. So. Yeah, he, so, he did. You know, clear did. up until. And this is where 
um, you know, just just recently, what was it like six months ago or, or so, um, you know, Dr. Athar Ansari had, you know, yeah. fixed up his leg. He had that gone in, best. he had performed that an blessing. He really, Dr. He is just an angel here on this earth, seriously. And he ended up also performing an angiogram on him to clear out some coronary artery blockages and then discovered that there was something grander in which he needed some open heart surgery. Correct, Dr. Ansari? Yeah, he he had a very calcified mitral valve and was very, very tight. And and so uh, what happened from, you know, when he went in, um, how did it transpire to the point where he was, I want to get to the point where they were telling Felicia that they needed to take him off of the ventilator. What did he have done and where, where did it go wrong? It went wrong for me is we had, he's had a, he has a host of doctors. And when they wanted to cut his legs off, I was like, okay, enough. The doctors that we have aren't telling us anything. They just wanted to cut his leg up, but they wouldn't say, well, it's better if we cut it out here because of blood flow or whatever. And I remember when we started dialysis, the, in the dialysis room, there was a guy saving limbs. I couldn't find him, but he was saving feet. He was saving limbs, and I couldn't find him. He didn't have to cut his toes off. They never told us why they cut, wanted to cut his toes, all the toes off. You know, the doctor said it's balanced. Oh, it's diabetes. But they could have saved them before it got as bad because Gary just had a blister on his toe. So going forward, um, when they found out he had a mitral valve issue, we went and talked to Dr. Um, Berendaria, you know, and he said, you know, his chances were slim, but he was going to give it a fight. And Gary was, I'm with, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do this. Let's just do this. We're going we're gonna to be good. So yeah, if I got 2%, I'm going to take the 2%. If I got 5%, I'm going to take the 5%. But the whole point of Gary's life was just decisions of doctors who never went any further. Never went any further. When I met Dr. Ansari, I never met a doctor who cared enough to do the work necessary to save. You know what I mean? To save his legs. His legs were important. One thing to lose the toes. Okay, I lose the toes, but if I lose my legs... Now we're in a whole nother bracket. Alicia, what happened when they told you to switch the machine off? Because obviously we asked you they to get called, touch. They called us and said that they, um, Gary's heart, his uh, blood pressure dropped. And they were doing everything they can to keep him alive. And so they said they got him, they got his blood pressure leveled. They got him back up and got a heart rate but they had tubes going into his heart going into his lungs three of them and that those tubes only circulated blood from his heart to his lungs and his brain just this quadrant didn't go down the legs did not go to the arms yeah wow we'll come in right up in just a moment we're going to hear what happened next so stay with us you don't want to miss this yeah Hey everybody, my name is Dr. David Alper, and I'm here once again with another chapter of footnotes from thewaytomyheart.org. And today we're going to talk about exercising your feet. Now why are we talking about exercising your feet? Well, 
For those that have circulation issues from PAD or from diabetes, anything we can do to promote increases in that circulation makes a healthier foot and less chance of infection and tissue breakdown. And this type of thing is something that you can do at home very simply to really help yourself and help the health of your feet and your legs. So the first thing you want to do is you want to find a washcloth. Take off your shoe and sock and just drop the washcloth on the ground and try to grab it with your toes. Try to pick it up. That natural bunching action works all the muscles on the top and the bottoms of your feet as well as in your calf, pushing the circulation through. You do this for five minutes per foot every day. If you don't like the idea of the washcloth or you don't feel steady enough to stand, you take a simple pencil or pen and have somebody hold it while you try to grab it with your toes and hold that for a couple of seconds and then let go and do it again. Once again, that natural gripping, grabbing motion works this muscles. Do not try to pick up the pencil off the ground or marbles or something like that. That's a great way to fall and kill yourself. And of course, if you have neuropathy, a loss of sensation, you're not gonna feel it. And that is just an accident waiting to happen. The other exercise that you can do is with a longer towel that you make into a log Put it across the bottom of your feet and pull with both hands. And while you're pulling, you push your foot away from you. Hold that for a couple of seconds, let go, and then do it again. We call this an isometric exercise. The tension promotes the circulation through here. Once again, for about five minutes per foot every single day. And of course, the third thing and the easiest thing to do for most people is to move to walk, to ride a bike, to swim, anything that makes this foot and leg move. And please remember, if you're not able to walk long distances, five minutes three times a day is just as effective as 15 minutes once a day. So it's not the continual distance, it's the action of doing it in the time that you do it. Do it around the kitchen island, do it around the dining room table, do it in front of your house if you need to. The important thing is to move. You do these things for five minutes, every single day, and in three to four weeks, I guarantee you that you're gonna feel some improvement in the blood flow and the health of your foot and legs. For further information, check out diabetes.org, the American Diabetes Association, APMA.org, the American Podiatric Medical Association, and of course, the Way to My Heart at thewaytomyheart.org. This is Dr. David Alper. Thank you again for joining me. We'll look forward to seeing you at another foot. Welcome back to the Heart of Innovation, for more on today's topic, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. Once again, here's Emmy Award-winning journalist Kim McNicholas and interventional cardiologist Dr. John Phillips. Welcome back to the show. We have with us Felicia, whose son transitioned um, just in this past week, along with uh, Dr. Athar Ansari, who's been an angel in her path and in her son's path along their in- entire journey. And before the break, we were talking about just the fact that we had gotten to a point where Felicia was told by the doctors, hey, we need to um, turn off the machine. You need to make the decision. And I went to Dr. Ansari and I said, what's going on, Dr. Ansari? And then he wasn't involved intimately at that point in his care. But why did you get involved and what did you do, Dr. Ansari? Um, Sorry. I don't want to take any credit, Kim. I think, uh, I, as you mentioned, I was not involved. Uh, but uh, when I heard that they're going to take off the ventilator, I called the surgeon and I says, no way. And uh, the, the Baradarian is an outstanding surgeon. And he 
uh, initially he agreed with me and finally we were set him up uh, he said that his source can be taken care of as an as, in as an ambulatory outpatient center and that's what we right, started right source on his back mm-hmm. yes yeah, so that's what we arranged for that so uh, we didn't i think they listened to me and i blasted them up i said i don't want to i said we have worked so hard and until you have totally given up and eventually we were right that he was taken off the ventilator and he was breathing on his own and what transpired later on was very very unfortunate because i was hoping to just make have a party with him and celebrate all this thing but uh, as you know uh, in in real life sometimes uh, we don't get all the necessary answers we did but uh, all i can tell you is his surgery was a miracle uh, he did a very good job on his surgery he, his his valves are the most calcified valves he talked to me ever he ever, ever done one so he was able to take care of that he went on ecmo and had multiple other problems issue but he gary was a fighter and he was able to get away all with all that and yeah. eventually he was get off the ventilator he was, yeah. he was breathing yeah. so but that's that's the point so i think the lesson learned is never give up and you have it maybe we were a little bit unlucky towards the end you know uh, uh, and we lost gary and i don't know exactly what happened because i was not involved but the bottom line is Uh, just this a uh, routine way of saying wash your hands off and walk away i i i personally i don't like that approach i think every human life is very valuable and we need to give us all whatever we have consult other people get the best possible we can i think that's what all i can say yes, yes thank you dr and sorry uh, and felicia I, your your uh, final thoughts and your final lessons we have about a minute left Don't give up. Find another doctor. Search. I did. I got on my computer and I just went for it. I know there's somebody out there that cares and I know there's somebody else out there that wants to make sure this person lives. And we wasn't taking no other answer. We were going to find someone. I knew there was someone out there that was going to help Gary. And they did. Happy. He was ecstatic. We were What? we had thought He was that he first thing he had was steak when he got off the ventilator. <laughs> Did he tell you a joke? He called Did he tell you a joke? <laughs> yeah, he called everybody and thanked everybody. I have He did, yeah. Of calling everybody and thanking everybody who yeah, who yeah. uh you know supported him. A few shows back Felicia we had on um a member from the Gleason Foundation, uh, Steve Gleason has ALS and his motto is no white flags and 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 my theory is as long as the patient's fighting I'm going to fight for him too so no white flags yes. and Gary Gary certainly did not raise a white flag at all so no. thank you so much everyone tribute to Gary thank you for yeah, tribute to Gary God bless us all. For information regarding topics you've heard discussed on today's program, go to theheartofinnovation.org. That's theheartofinnovation.org. The Heart of Innovation is for educational and informational purposes only, and advice and views shared are not a substitute for medical advice from your own supervising physician. Do not act on any information provided in this show without the explicit consent from your own healthcare team. If you think you are having a medical emergency, call your local emergency number or go to the nearest hospital or emergency room. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.